Chapters eighteen and nineteen of Cousin Maud by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eighteen, Cousin Maud. Three days had passed since the bridal, and James still lingered at Laurel Hill, while not very miles away his mother waited and wondered why he did not come. J. C. and Nellie were gone, but ere they had left, the former sought an interview with Maud, whose placid brow he kissed tenderly as he whispered in her ear fate decreed that you should not be my wife but i have made you my sister and if i mistake not another wishes to make you my cousin to james he had given the ornaments intended for another bride than nelly saying as he did so maud de vere may wear them yet what do you mean asked james and j c replied i mean that i and not you will have a cousin maud two days had elapsed since then and it was night again but to the blind girl drinking in the words of love which fell like music on her ear it was high noon day and the sky undimmed by a single cloud i once called you my cousin maud the deep-toned voice said and i thought it the sweetest name i had ever heard but there is a nearer dearer name which i would give to you even my wife maud shall it be and he looked into her sightless eyes to read her answer she had listened eagerly to the story of his love born so long ago had held her breath lest she should lose a single word when he told her how he had battled with that love and how his heart had thrilled with joy when he heard that she was free but when he asked her to be his wife the bright vision faded and she answered mournfully you know not what you say you would not take a blind girl in her helplessness a thousandfold dearer to me for that very helplessness he said and then he told her of the land beyond the sea where the physicians were well skilled in everything pertaining to the eye thither they would go he said when the april winds were blowing and should the experiment not succeed he would love and cherish her all the more maud knew he was in earnest and was about to answer him when along the hall there came the sound of little crutches and over her face there flitted a shadow of pain it was the sister-love warring with the love of self but james de vere understood it all and he hastened to say louis will go too my darling i have never had a thought of separating you in europe he will have a rare opportunity for developing his taste shall it not be so let him decide was maud's answer as the crutches struck the soft carpet of the room louis said mr de vere shall maud go with me to europe as my wife yes 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 was louis's hasty answer his brown eyes filling with tears of joy when he heard that he too was to accompany them maud could no longer refuse and she half fancied she saw the flashing of the diamonds when james placed upon her finger the ring which bore the inscription of cousin maud before coming there that night mr de vere had consulted a new york paper and found that a steamship would sail for liverpool on the twentieth of april about six weeks from that day we will go in it he said my blind bird louis and i and he parted lovingly the silken tresses of her to whom this new appellation was given there was much in the future to anticipate and much in the past which he wished to talk over so he remained late that night and on passing through the lower hall was greatly surprised to see mrs kennedy still sitting in the parlour she had divined the object and result of his visit and the moment he was gone she glided up the stairs to the room where maud was quietly weeping for very joy the story of the engagement was soon told and winding her arm around maud's neck mrs kennedy said i rejoice with you daughter in your happiness but i shall be left so desolate when you and louis are both gone 
just then her eye caught the ring upon maud's finger and taking it in her hand she admired its chaste beauty and was calculating its probable cost when glancing at the inside she started suddenly exclaiming cousin maud that is my name the one by which he always called me has it been given to you too and as the throng of memories that name awakened came rushing over her the impulsive woman folded the blind girl to her bosom saying to her my child my child you should have been i do not understand you said maud and mrs kennedy replied it is not meet that we should part ere i tell you who and what i am is the name of maud glendower strange to you did you never hear it in your vernon home it seemed familiar to me when j c de vere first told me of you answered maud but i cannot recall any particular time when i heard it spoken did you know my mother yes father and mother both and loved them too listen to me maud while i tell you of the past though it seems so long ago i was a schoolgirl once and nightly in my arms there slept a fair-haired blue-eyed maiden four years my junior over whom i exercised an elder sister's care she loved me this little blue-eyed girl and when your brother first spoke to me i seemed again to hear her voice whispering in my ear i love you beautiful maud it was mother it was mother and maud remington drew nearer to the excited woman who answered yes it was your mother then little mattie reed we were at school together in new haven and she was my roommate we were not at all alike for i was wholly selfish while she found her greatest pleasure in ministering to others happiness but she crossed my path at last and then i thought i hated her not my mother lady you could not hate my mother and the blind eyes flashed as if they would tear away the veil of darkness in which they were enshrouded and gaze upon a woman who could hate sweet mattie remington hush child don't look so fiercely at me said maud glendower upon your mother's grave i have wept that sin away and i know i am forgiven as well as if her own soft voice had told me so i loved your father maud and this was my great error he was a distant relative of your mother whom he always called his cousin he visited her often for he was a college student and ere i was aware of it i loved him oh so madly vainly fancying my affection was returned he was bashful i thought for he was not then twenty-one and by way of rousing him to action i trifled with another with dr kennedy and she uttered the name spitefully as if it were even now hateful to her i know it i know it returned maud he told me that when he first talked with me of you but i did not suppose the dark-eyed student was my father it was none other said mrs kennedy and you can form some conception of my love for him when i tell you that it has never died away but is as fresh within my heart this night as when i walked with him upon the college green and he called me cousin maud for he gave me that name because of my fondness for mattie and he sealed it with a kiss mattie was present at that time and had i not been blind i should have seen how his whole soul was bound up in her even while kissing me i regarded her as a child and so she was but men sometimes love children you know when she was fifteen she left new haven i too had ceased to be a schoolgirl but i still remained in the city and wrote to her regularly until at last your father came to me and with the light of a great joy shining all over his face told me she was to be his bride on her sixteenth birthday she would have written it herself he said only she was a bashful little creature and would rather he should tell me 
i know not what i did for the blow was sudden and took my senses away he had been so kind to me of late had visited me so often that my heart was full of hope but it was all gone now matty reed was preferred to me and while my spanish blood boiled at the fancied indignity i said many a harsh thing of her i called her designing deceitful and false and then in my frenzy quitted the room i never saw harry again for he left the city next morning but to my dying hour i shall not forget the expression of his face when i talked to him of matty turn away maud turn away for there is the same look now upon your face but i have repented of that act though not till years after i tore up matty's letters i said i would burn the soft brown tress oh woman woman you did not burn my mother's hair and with a shudder maud unwound the soft white arm which so closely encircled her no maud no i couldn't it would not leave my fingers but coiled around them with a loving grasp i have it now and esteem it my choicest treasure when i heard that you were born my heart softened toward the young girl mother and i wrote asking that harry's child might be called for me i did not disguise my love for him and i said it would be some consolation to know that his daughter bore my name my letter did not reach them until you had been baptized matilda which was the name of your mother and grandmother but to prove their goodness they ever after called you maud then i was named for you and maud remington came back to the embrace of maud glendower who kissing her white brow continued two years afterward i found myself in vernon stopping for a night at the hotel i will see them in the morning i said harry matty and the little child and i asked the landlord where you lived i was standing upon the stairs and in the partial darkness he could not see my anguish when he replied bless you miss harry remington died a fortnight ago how i reached my room i never knew but reach it i did and half an hour later i knelt by his grave where i wept away every womanly feeling of my heart and then went back to the giddy world the gayest of the gay i did not seek an interview with your mother though i have often regretted it since did she never speak of me think did you never hear my name in vernon i am sure i did answered maud but i was then too young to receive a very vivid impression and after we came here mother i fear was too unhappy to talk much of the past i understand it answered maud glendower and over her fine features there stole a hard dark look as she continued i can see how one of her gentle nature would wither and die in this atmosphere and forgive me maud she never loved your father as i loved him for had he called me wife i should never have been here what made you come asked maud and the lady answered for louis's sake and yours i came i never lost sight of your mother i knew she married the man i rejected and from my inmost soul i pitied her but i am redressing her wrongs and those of that other woman who wore her life away within these gloomy walls money is his idol and when you touch his purse you touch his tenderest point but i have opened it and struggle as he may it shall not be closed again she spoke bitterly and maud knew that dr kennedy had more than met his equal in that woman of iron will i should have made a splendid carpenter the lady continued for nothing pleases me more than the sound of the hammer and saw and when you are gone i shall solace myself with fixing the entire house i must have excitement or die as the others did maud mrs kennedy do you know what time it is 
came from the foot of the stairs and mrs kennedy answered it is one o'clock i believe then why are you sitting up so late and why is that lamp left burning in the parlour with four tubes going off at once it's a maxim of mine spare your maxims do i'm coming directly and kissing the blind girl affectionately mrs kennedy went down to her liege lord whom she found extinguishing the light and gently shaking the lamp to see how much fluid had been uselessly wasted he might have made some conjugal remark but the expression of her face forbade anything like reproof and he soon found use for his powers of speech in the invectives he heaped upon the long rocker of the chair over which he stumbled as he groped his way back to the bedroom where his wife rather enjoyed than otherwise the lamentations which he made over his bruised shin the story she had been telling had awakened many bitter memories in maud glendower's bosom and for hours she turned uneasily from side to side trying in vain to sleep maud remington too was wakeful thinking over the strange tale she had heard and marvelling that her life should be so closely interwoven with that of the woman whom she called her mother i love her all the more she said i shall pity her so staying here alone when i am gone then her thoughts turned upon the future when she would be the wife of james de vere and while wondering if she should really ever see again she fell asleep just as the morning was dimly breaking in the east Nineteen a second bridal after the night of which we have written the tie of affection between mrs kennedy and the blind girl was stronger than before and when the former said to her husband maud must have an outfit worthy of a rich man's stepdaughter he knew by the tone of her voice that remonstrance was useless and answered meekly i will do what is right but don't be too extravagant for nelly's clothes almost ruined me and i had to pay for that piano yesterday will fifty dollars do fifty dollars repeated the lady are you crazy then touched perhaps by the submissive expression of his face she added as maud is blind she will not need as much as if she were going at once into society i'll try and make two hundred dollars answer though that will purchase but a meagre trousseau mrs kennedy's pronunciation of french was not always correct and john who chanced to be within hearing caught eagerly at the last word exclaiming Key dem choosers must cost a heap sight more'n mine what dis nigger speckum can be and he glanced ruefully at his own glazed pants of corduroy which had done him service for two or three years maud was a great favourite with john and when he heard that she was going away for ever he went up to the woodshed chamber where no one could see him and seating himself upon a pile of old shingles which had been put there for kindling he cried like a child it'll be mighty lonesome knowin she's gone for good he said for though she'll come back again she'll be married and when a gal is married that's the last on em i wish i could give her something to show her my feelins he examined his hands they were hard rough and black he drew from his pocket a bit of looking-glass and examined his face that was blacker yet and shaking his head he whispered it might do for a mulatto gal but not for her then as a new idea crossed his mind he brightened up exclaiming my heart is white and if i have a tip-top case mebbe she won't spies a poor old nigger's picture in short john contemplated having his daguerreotype taken as a bridal present for maud accordingly that very afternoon he arrayed himself in his best and entering the yellow car of a travelling artist who had recently come to the village he was soon in possession of a splendid case and a picture which he pronounced uncommon good lookin for him 
this he laid carefully away until the wedding-day which was fixed for the fifteenth of april when mr de vere heard of john's generosity to maud in giving her the golden eagles he promptly paid them back adding five more as interest and at the same time asking him if he would not like to accompany them to europe you can be of great assistance to us he said and i will gladly take you this was a strong temptation and for a moment the negro hesitated but when his eye fell upon his master who was just then entering the gate his decision was taken and he answered no i'm bleeged to you i'd rather stay and see the fun what fun asked mr de vere and john replied the fun of seeing him cotch it and he pointed to the doctor coming slowly up the walk his hands behind him and his head bent forward in a musing attitude dr kennedy was at that moment in an unenviable frame of mind for he was trying to decide whether he could part for a year or more with this crippled boy who grew each day more dear to him it will do him good i know he said and i might perhaps consent if i could spare the money but i can't for i haven't got it that woman keeps me penniless and will wheedle me out of two hundred dollars more oh matt he did not finish the sentence for by this time he had reached the hall where he met mr de vere who asked if louis was to go he can't answered the doctor i have not the means mrs kennedy says maud's wardrobe will cost two hundred dollars excuse me sir interrupted mr de vere i shall attend to maud's wants myself and if you are not able to bear louis's expenses i will willingly do it for the sake of having him with his sister they ought not to be separated and who knows but louis's deformity may be in a measure relieved this last decided the matter louis should go even though his father mortgaged his farm to pay the bill and during the few weeks which elapsed before the fifteenth the house presented an air of bustle and confusion equal to that which preceded nelly's bridal mr de vere remained firm in his intention to defray all maud's expenses and he delegated to mrs kennedy the privilege of purchasing whatever she thought was needful her selections were usually in good taste and in listening to her enthusiastic praises maud enjoyed her new dresses almost as much as if she had really seen them a handsome plain silk of blue and brown was decided upon for a travelling dress and very sweetly the blind girl looked when arrayed in her simple attire she stood before the man of god whose words were to make her a happy bride she could not see the sunlight of spring streaming into the room neither could she see the sunlight of love shining over the face of james de vere nor yet the earnest gaze of those who thought her so beautiful in her helplessness but she could feel it all and the long eyelashes resting on her cheek were wet with tears when a warm kiss was pressed upon her lips and a voice murmured in her ear my wife my darling maud there were bitter tears shed at that parting maud glendower weeping passionately over the child of harry remington and dr kennedy hugging to his bosom the little hunchback boy matty's boy and his they might never meet again and the father's heart clung fondly to his only son he could not even summon to his aid a maxim with which to season his farewell and bidding a kind good-bye to maud he sought the privacy of his chamber where he could weep alone in his desolation hannah and john grieved to part with the travellers but the latter was somewhat consoled by the gracious manner with which maud had accepted his gift i cannot see it she said but when i opened the casing i shall know your kind honest face is there and it will bring me many pleasant memories of you heaven bless you miss maud answered john 
struggling hard to keep back the tears he deemed it unmanly to shed heaven bless you but if you keep talkin so book-like and good i'll bust out a cryin i know for i'm nothin but an old fool anyhow and wringing her hand he hurried off into the woodshed chamber where he could give free vent to his grief through the harbour down the bay and out upon the sea a noble vessel rides and as the evening wind comes dancing o'er the wave it sweeps across the deck kissing the cheek of a brown-eyed boy and lifting the curls from the brow of one whose face upturned to the tall man at her side seems almost angelic so calm so peaceful is its expression of perfect bliss many have gazed curiously upon that group and the voices were very low which said the little boy is deformed while there was a world of sadness in the whisper which told the wondering passengers that the beautiful bride was blind they knew it by the constant drooping of her eyelids by the graceful motion of her hand as it groped in the air and more than all by the untiring watchfulness of the husband and brother who constantly hovered near it seemed terrible that so fair a creature should be blind and like the throb of one great heart did the sympathy of that vessel's crew go out toward the gentle maud who in her new-born happiness forgot almost the darkness of the world without or if she thought of it looked forward to a time when hope said that she should see again so leaving her upon the sea speeding away to sunny france we glance backward for a moment to the lonely house where maud glendower mourns for harry's child and where the father thinks often of his boy listening in vain for the sound which once was hateful to his ear the sound of louis's crutches neither does john forget the absent ones but in the garden in the barn in the fields and the woodshed chamber he prays in his mongrel dialect that he who holds the wind in the hollow of his hand will give to the treacherous deep charge concerning the precious freight it bears he does not say it in those words but his untutored language coming from a pure heart is heard by the most high and so the breeze blows gently o'er the bark thus followed by black john's prayers the skies look brightly down upon it the blue waves ripple at its side until at last it sails into its destined port and when the apple blossoms are dropping from the trees and old hannah lays upon the grass to bleach the fanciful white bedspread which her own hands have knit for maud there comes a letter to the lonely household telling them that the feet of those they love have reached the shores of the old world End of chapters eighteen and nineteen